On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family at Direct at gmail.com, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I am Tim, here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you today? I am doing very well. Could it be better? How are you today, Tim? I'm doing all right. And Lance, in this episode, we speak with our buddy Jen Amell, who does some research for us. And we speak about the disappearance of a young woman named Morgan Bauer. And Jennifer has been researching missing person cases that are coming to us through the nonprofit Private Investigations for the Missing email and Private Investigations for the Missing. For anybody who doesn't know, that's a nonprofit that Tim and I are on the board of and our good friends uh, Michelle and Jillian, they contribute to this as well. They work with Bruce and Jen, and they put together the information for these missing persons cases. So uh, people reach out and they say, for example, um, Morgan, my sister Morgan has been missing, and I, I'd like you guys to look into this. So the first step is for us to uh, fully research and vet it. And Jen Amel has been a really uh, amazing resource with that. She's been really thorough. And this is based on her research, and she delivers it all to us from her super secret hatch somewhere in the universe. That's right. And you may know Jen from her work on the Crawl Space podcast that we do, and she has been looking into the case of Suitcase Jane Doe from Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Really crazy case. We've done, I think, five episodes with Jen on Crawl Space, so you want to check those out. And so Morgan Bauer was 19 years old when she went missing. She's 5'6". 125 pounds, and that could have fluctuated since the disappearance. She's white. Her hair is brown but could be dyed different colors. Her eyes are blue. And she went missing on February 26th. Officially, all the communications stopped from her on February 26th, 2016. So she would be 23 years old at this time. Now, Tim, we get into this whole idea of possible sex trafficking and sex work. So we wanted to talk a little bit about that before we get to the episode. Yeah, and uh, there's some stats here from Polaris Project, and uh, it's how to tell if someone's been trafficked, because we don't know if that's the case in Morgan's disappearance, but there is a a strong possibility, I'd say. Absolutely a strong possibility, and uh, offline we talk about this, especially with... uh, Michelle and Jillian and Jen and and on occasion Bruce uh, because we receive the information of missing people through private investigations for the missing we we talk about sex trafficking amongst ourselves offline from the show sometimes we bring it up on the show whether it's missing more Murray or crawl space but we have never gone into such detailed bullet points on on some tells right whether or not you suspect somebody has been or is currently being uh, trafficked because it it's a really ugly occupation to be a part of. Uh, I can't think of another word aside from occupation. It's it's sex slavery and it's it's a really hard thing to talk about when when you want to address it in sort of a long form fashion. And so uh, here is some of these bullet points on how to tell if someone has been trafficked, if they're not free to leave or come or go at will is in the commercial sex industry and has a pimp or manager, is unpaid or paid very little or paid only through tips, 
works excessively long and or unusual hours, is not allowed breaks or suffers under unusual restrictions at work, owes a large debt and is unable to pay it off, was recruited through false promises concerning the nature and conditions of his or her work, high security measures exist in the work and or living locations, like boarded up windows, bars on windows, barbed wire security cameras, etc., is living and working on site. Experiences verbal or physical abuse by their superior, is not given proper safety equipment, is not paid directly, or is forced to meet daily quotas. And some poor mental health or abnormal behavior bullet points here is fearful, anxious, depressed, submissive, tense, or nervous, and paranoid. Exhibits unusually fearful or anxious behavior after bringing up law enforcement or immigration officials. Show signs of substance abuse or addiction. I'm learning stuff here. And poor physical health too, Lance. Show signs of poor hygiene, malnourishment, and or fatigue. Show signs of physical and or sexual abuse, physical restraint, confinement, or torture. Lack of control, has few or no personal possessions, is frequently monitored, is not in control of their own money, financial records, or bank account. Nor are they in control of their own identification documents, ID, or passport, and is not allowed or able to speak for themselves. A third party may insist on being present and or translating. And in the other category, claims of just visiting and inability to clarify where they are staying or their address, lack of knowledge of whereabouts, and or do not know what city he or she is in. And with that, they appear to have lost the sense of time, shares scripted, confusing, or inconsistent stories, or protects the person who may be hurting them or minimizes abuse. Now, Tim, you and I just read these pretty much verbatim from uh, the Polaris Project, and these are the warning signs. If, if anybody knows somebody or if you are in a position where there you can identify or you can identify your friend being in this position, polarisproject.org, Lance, operates the U.S. National Human Trafficking Hotline. The number to call is 1-888-373-7888 or text BEFREE to 233733 or you can also live chat on polarisproject.org and i think a lot of uh these points will ring more true in other cases that you're following uh the listeners out there i guarantee you'll find a handful a dozen of these points in those cases that you are uh, passionate about Welcome back to the podcast, Jen Amel. How are you today, Jen? Doing great. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing uh, doing all right. Very well. Uh, couldn't be better, actually. And it's really awesome to see that you are back in your uh, your hatch. We love this. You have you have committed yourself to the uh, the investigation hatch. What I'm going to start calling it. I uh, travel around with my hatch. It's a portable hatch. Oh, mobile hatch. I love it. Well, Jen, you are joining us here today to discuss the mysterious disappearance of a young woman named Morgan Bauer. And you've done some research on Morgan. You've shared your work with us. And uh, so we're all here to uh, discuss Morgan's case. Yeah, I think it's a particularly interesting case. Um, And I think one that has the potential to be solved and for Morgan to be found. Okay. And you've done uh, a bunch of work for us researching other cases. You did the research for uh, Dale Williams, and that actually led to his daughter reaching out, and uh, we're going to be interviewing her as well. So the work you're doing is part of this, uh, I guess, informal uh, introduction of other cases into the Missing Moore Murray show. And um, Dale Williams was the first one. It went really well. And it's actually gaining traction by having his daughter speak with us. And hopefully something happens with Morgan's case here. Uh, you're right. It does have potential to uh, have leads. And, and there is there, there are sightings, which we'll get to. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's one of those um, tragic cases where you have a 19-year-old who, even today, she she'd be 23. Um, and 
I guess you'd say was she from like the the other side of the tracks, like kind of a kind of a broken uh, a broken home. Well, she was 19 when she went missing. She's 5'6", 125 pounds, and that could have fluctuated since her disappearance. She is white. She's got brown hair, but could be dyed different colors, and her eyes are blue. She's got some distinctive tattoos on her body per Namus and the Charlie Project. Uh, Lance, you want to take us through the tattoos? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'll be the, I'll be the tattoo guy. <laughs> Figured, yeah. Uh, yes, we got uh, these tattoos uh, on the right side of her chest near her shoulder. There's a tattoo of a sun and a moon inside a uh, Celtic four-star design. And on the inside of her right forearm, there is a blue and orange jellyfish design. Uh, the third one on the back of her neck is a black tree of life with uh, small flowers. On her left hip, she has a quote. It's It reads, it's in herself. She will find the strength she needs. Number five, on her left wrist, it's an anchor with the sentence, whatever you love can be taken away, so live like it's your dying day. And I believe that is all, the five uh, five tattoos. Okay, so Jen, do you want to uh, talk about where Morgan came from? Sure. Morgan grew up in a small town called Aberdeen. It's in South Dakota. And I think like any young girl who grows up in a small town with maybe not a whole lot of money, um, she dreamed of escaping that kind of life. So Morgan sort of hatched this plan to move to the comparatively large city of Atlanta, Georgia. Friends and family describe Morgan as fun-loving, spirited, and a trusting young woman. Her mother, Sherry, said that Morgan does everything 100%. She's a go-big kind of girl, go bigger or go home. It's a little wonder that Morgan embarked on her new life with high expectations and, unfortunately, little money and little forethought. Yeah, and now we're encountering this whole uh, Craigslist uh, connection here. Before leaving, Morgan contacted a man on Craigslist uh, who was living in Atlanta or the Atlanta area and arranged to stay at his apartment in exchange uh, for uh, you know executing some small chores until she was able to find a job and start paying rent. This is uh, just a classic step towards, like, disaster i mean are, are, are you in agreement on that yeah i am um it doesn't seem like the safest of arrangements and it might indicate that morgan's situation was a bit risky from the start i mean she really wanted to get out of her hometown so her first thought was like let me jump on craigslist which is notorious for being sort of a dangerous uh place for anyone to go and meet somebody you, you, there's no vetting process there's no background check like you don't have a social media profile attached to it that you could look out and maybe determine that a person is normal or safe so i think she just met this guy on craigslist and bought a ticket to atlanta and went what's your feeling on how fast this happened i feel like she didn't like the area she was in and then she goes right to craigslist was there anything that you encountered that had like, you know, something in between? Was she looking into other avenues or was it just strictly Craigslist and I'm gone to Atlanta? You know, I'm not sure what other avenues she looked into or if she even wanted to like be in a different city than Atlanta. But I know that she was not living at home in Aberdeen. She was living with some friends. And I'm not exactly sure where that was. It could have been in the same town or it could have been somewhere else. Um, but while she was making arrangements to go to Atlanta, she, uh, she called her mother because she needed a copy of her birth certificate and her social security card just so that she could start applying for new jobs when she got to Atlanta. But her mother, Sherry, like any sane parent was like, I don't think that this is a great plan. It seems kind of half baked. I'm going to hold on to your birth certificate and social security card just in effort to like stop her daughter from what she thought was a mistake. Um, so Morgan actually ended up calling the police about this and forcing her mother to give up the documents. Now, what kind of communication have you had with the mother, Sherry? Um, I did reach out to her via email a few times. Um, I spoke to a friend of hers, which is how we this case kind of got on in our radar. Um, but I have not received a reply from her mother at this time. 
Okay, well, uh, you can kind of see where she's coming from, at least um, in this case, with not giving Morgan her birth certificate and Social Security card, uh, really for Morgan's own safety. Obviously, it didn't deter Morgan from leaving. Right, yeah. I mean, she did get her documents and uh, ended up buying a ticket to Atlanta. And she got a ride from a friend and flew out from Minneapolis. So I'm not sure why she flew out of Minneapolis. Maybe she was staying in Minnesota for some reason. When Morgan arrived in Atlanta, she went to the Craigslist man's home, which was in or around the greater Atlanta area, and she stored her belongings in his home. She stayed with this man for one night, and while she was out during the next day, she returned to find all of her belongings outside with a note that said, don't come back. And we don't know why this guy kicked Morgan out. And I have a quick question. Uh, the identity of the man, does anybody know who this is? It's not publicized. Okay. I imagine that Sherry, Morgan's mother, probably has his name, and the police have questioned him. I think he was cleared as a suspect as well. But I have no idea why he kicked her out. Maybe, I mean, people have a lot of complicated feelings about uh, people who work as exotic dancers or in these sex trade. So maybe when she got to Atlanta, Morgan was like seeking work as a dancer and this guy didn't agree with it and kicked her out based on that. But we really have no way of knowing. Right. I mean, we're just speculating here. Could it possibly be the other way where he did expect something from her and and she didn't reciprocate, which is why it only lasted. It was just a single night, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Just a single night. Yeah. Maybe maybe he tried something and she was not having that. And before he could get into any more trouble, he was like, I just got to like this is not happening. You know, I mean, this is at a time. This is when was this? Twenty sixteen. Right. So, yeah, this, this people knew about Craigslist danger. Yeah, and and I would say if you meet someone from Craigslist, like this guy wasn't asking for anything else in return, no no money or something like that. Like I would say that sounds pretty likely why uh, he kicked her out of his house. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the guy would have kicked her out after one night, and if like Morgan had refused one of his advances, unless he was afraid of some accusation, like of assault or something like that. But I don't think there was any indication from Morgan in a message to her friends or whatever that she wanted to leave this house. And I imagine if she encountered a a strange sexualized situation that she would want to leave. But it's all speculation at this point. Was she uh, regularly in contact with her friends? Like, would you would you have expected that if something went down so significant? Absolutely. She was a 19-year-old girl. I mean, she was attached to her cell phone as much as any other teenage girl. Um, She was in regular contact via text and Snapchat, and she posted regularly on Facebook and did all the normal things. So I imagine that she would have called her best friend back home and been like, guess what happened as soon as I got to Atlanta? You know? Very strange. So homeless with very little money, Morgan checked into a series of cheap motels and eventually got a job as a dancer at a strip club in Gainesville, Georgia. And it's technically a suburb of Atlanta, but it's really like an hour northeast of the city. So, Jen, how do you think Morgan got from Atlanta to Gainesville? I think it's a very strange thing that she ended up an hour outside of the city. Um, I'm assuming she went to a club walked into a club in Atlanta and met somebody who maybe said, Hey, I know of this club outside the city. They don't require any documentation or a permit. Um, get in my car. I'll take you up there. Or she could have also taken the train. There's, um, a train that takes like about 45 minutes from Atlanta to Gainesville. Okay. So you have a train that probably isn't very expensive, to get, uh, you know, an hour outside of the city. I would say then you have two questions then, because I can understand, you know, the scenario if someone were to pick her up and say, hey, I I can provide you with work. But then you introduce somebody else into all this and and he just happens to have a place where she can work. Uh, The other case is she takes the train. How does she even know about any place in Gainesville in the first place? Does she just want to get away from... Uh, Atlanta and Gainesville just happens to feel like uh, the next best place because there's a lot of places in between. 
So is Gainesville, Georgia known for their strip clubs? No, absolutely not. They have, I think, they used to have two in 2016. Um, and then both subsequently closed down. So I'm not sure if there's any nightclub there in Gainesville anymore. Um, the one that she started working at top of Gainesville, I think, became a Latina dance club now. But it is not a strip club. Okay, and Morgan seemed to make some friends at uh, at one of these clubs. She met someone named Diamond, which is not her real name. Morgan met Diamond at a separate club, and on February 25th, they went together to Atlanta to apply for a job at T's Adult Entertainment Club on Cheshire Road in Atlanta. Morgan learned that she would need an adult entertainment permit to work as an exotic dancer in Atlanta, which I guess is different from what, uh, what the criteria was to be a dancer in Gainesville. And for this permit, the requirements are uh, $200 plus $70 fingerprinting and a background check plus notary fees. So talking about at least uh, probably $300. Yeah, so how would she be making this money? Is there any possibility that she could have been making this money uh, dancing at the uh, club that her and Diamond applied at and, and got the job? I'd say that's pretty likely. Yeah, I think she. I think Morgan was probably drawn to that club in Gainesville because they probably didn't require a permit and she was able to work. I mean, dancers make in the ballpark of like 800 to a grand in a week. So she she could have made the money. That's a good point that maybe that's what brought her to Gainesville in the first place. And then when she earned that money, she went back to Atlanta and uh, tried to get that permit. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. And you also have a point here that the uh, manager at T's reported that Morgan offered to even pay for Diamond's permit fee as well. So so now you're talking close to six or seven hundred dollars. Yeah, this is a this is a strange point that I came across. So this came from like the eyewitness statement from the manager at T's Adult Entertainment Club. And he said that. Morgan offered to pay for Diamond's permit fee as well, but I really don't know what would have compelled Morgan to offer to do that. She had no money. She had no house. It sort of speaks to maybe like some strange pull that Diamond had over Morgan. What do you guys think? Maybe it was just like an investment. Uh, you know, if you give me 300, I'll give you a 350 back in a week or something like that could be pretty simple that's true yeah yeah it could be very simple they were both sort of uh in this together right they both left a certain area together and they were uh i i feel like they could have been in it together and um supporting one another uh sort of business partners in the whole thing uh but the the manager confirmed that he did speak with morgan about uh, a job and then sent her away because she, she didn't have the correct paperwork um and is, do do we know the identity of the manager? Was he ever spoken with or by by law enforcement? I'm not sure if law enforcement spoke to them, but Morgan's mother Sherry did speak to him personally. Oh, so oh, she went so far as to contact that manager. And do you know if she learned any information that was relevant to to her search? Yeah, actually, just a couple weeks after Morgan went missing, Sherry went to Atlanta and actually ended up moving there. Uh, but she retraced every single step that her daughter made and talked to everybody at all of these clubs. And I'm sure that the manager was able to provide a, a description of Diamond and later Diamond's boyfriend, who will be a sort of a key player later on. So Morgan's mom, Sherry, actually moved to Atlanta? I believe so, yes. Okay, so on February 25th of 2016, Morgan spoke to her friend Taryn, and this is the last day any friends or family spoke to her and the last day she ever posted on any social media. And we can uh, show the picture of her last post on social media. Uh, then on the night of the 25th of February, Morgan finished her shift at the top of Gainesville and left with Diamond and her boyfriend. And this introduces a, a, a new character into uh, Morgan's disappearance, the, boor, the boyfriend of Diamond. And uh, what was their initial p plan? Where were they going? Did they typically leave work together? Was he somebody who picked them up? Uh, is there any additional info on him? I don't have too much information on him. The only things that I do know is that he is an African-American man. He was young. I believe he was in his early to mid-20s. 
and he drove a pickup truck. Okay, and you have a point here about Sherry. Uh, She has definitive statements from management at top of Gainesville that Morgan worked February 25th, left with Diamond and her boyfriend in a truck. So that is a definitive statement that Sherry, Morgan's mom, got from the manager of top of Gainesville. So that's about as close as you can get to, you know, 100% verification. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's always room for, like, a margin of error. Was the manager confusing the days? We don't know. But there seems to be some corroboration between another young man who was uh, seeing Morgan. I don't think that they were officially dating. I think they met in Atlanta as soon as Morgan landed. And um, they were spending some time together. Um, So his name was Casey. And uh, Casey also corroborated that Morgan was with this couple, Diamond and her boyfriend, on the night of February 25th. Was he with them or was he at the club? No, but he was texting with Morgan. And you have some specific text messages that she had sent to him, one of which was, uh, made nothing tonight, only $50, need to get to the other club tomorrow. And uh, when did he respond to that? Because that, that was the night of the 25th and then he had a response to her. Morgan sent that text at midnight, so I imagine he might have fallen asleep. So he woke up and replied on the morning of the 26th at around 8 a.m. He said, hit me up when you get up, which I assume was for a ride because I think he, he drove around to a lot of places. Did she respond to that? No, she never responded. And so earlier, Casey was supposed to meet up with Morgan to get a hotel key. So he called Diamond instead, and he asked Diamond for her address to meet Morgan, but she wouldn't give it to him because her address wouldn't show up on GPS is what she said, apparently, or what Casey said she said. But Casey knows this isn't true because he actually did pick Morgan up at the house using GPS at an earlier date. Yeah, I think it's pretty strange that diamond wouldn't give her address to casey seems like she had something to hide i mean either something had happened to morgan and he would find out that she wasn't there um or their residence was being used for some illegal purposes like maybe they sold drugs out of it or maybe there it was a prostitution house you know anything that would make diamond sort of like be wary of inviting people over that she didn't know. And how long had Morgan been in the area at this point? A week? Yeah, like a week and a half. Doesn't this feel like it's escalated pretty quickly? I mean, she she has this character in her life named Casey who is driving her around. Like, it feels to me like she got everything organized pretty quickly with a job and transportation and and Diamond and her boyfriend. She already has a a network of people that she's reaching out to for all sorts of things. I just like, I feel like a a week or so is is so fast for all of this to happen. It is. And it's a a network of people she barely knows. Right. People who are kind of living on the fringes of society uh, in that town and exactly where she is right now. You did make a comment, Jen, about her meeting Casey when she landed. Uh, I don't know if you were kind of kidding, but was that the case? Did she meet Casey? When you said that, I pictured him being like her, her Uber driver or something. I don't I don't really know when exactly they met, but they had to have known each other for at least most of the time that she was there for him to be like texting her a lot and having plans to like driving her around and stuff. But I think this, this seems very frightening. Like this whole situation seems very frightening and suspect to me. I think these people, I'm not saying Casey did, maybe he just liked her. Um, but diamond and her boyfriend and the other people who had employed uh, Morgan, I think they had some ulterior motive. I would definitely agree. Now we're on to February 26th, and this is the official day where she uh, is declared missing, right? Or she goes missing, right? Yeah, this is when all contact ceases with Morgan. Okay, and all of the information on Morgan's whereabouts comes from Diamond and her boyfriend from this point forward. So according to the couple, Morgan talked about moving to Tennessee, and the couple there have conflicting stories They claim to have dropped Morgan off in the early hours of February 26th at a Sitco gas station at the 3200 block of Highway 278 in Covington, Georgia. That's one. And what's the second one, Lance? 
The second one is that they claim to have never seen Morgan at all, which I'm not sure how the conflicting stories happened. Were they not in the same room at the same time? But it seems like such a significant difference between person A's story being a specific address and person B's story saying, ah, we never saw her. I mean, did they? if they did something to her, did they not communicate what they would tell people uh, after the fact? Uh, it seems like very poor communication. Um, or are they saying that they might have mixed up the nights? Maybe someone, uh, one person A thought it was the, you know, the 24th of February or something. Like, what's, what's the reasoning for them being such a polar opposite? Uh, we didn't see her. No, it was she, we dropped her off at the specific address. Yeah. And is it, uh, never seen her at all? Like, uh, maybe, maybe they, they're claiming they're, they're confused on, on the person. I don't know. And, and, and is this diamond saying this or is this diamond's boyfriend? Yeah. Who's who in this? Yeah. I believe this is diamond because I don't think the police ever really interviewed her boyfriend. The listeners can't hear, uh, annoyed head shakes, but Tim just had an annoyed, exasperated head shake. Because why would you want to, right? I mean, it's just it's interviewing one more person. Like, that's just it's too much. It seems like the police really dropped the ball um, with this investigation. But they did trace Morgan's phone, and uh, its last ping was in Porterdale, Georgia, where Diamond and her boyfriend happened to live. Huh. They're saying that her cell phone pinged in Porterdale, Georgia, where her and her boyfriend lived, and Porterdale is about a 40-minute drive from Atlanta. So... So either she was driven there and she made a call from there or someone made a call from her phone in that area. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there is any reason to believe that Diamond and her boyfriend mixed up the dates or didn't know Morgan at all because we have Casey who's in contact with Morgan, loses contact, is supposed to meet up with her to get this hotel key and he calls Diamond because he knows that Morgan is with Diamond. So we have like a third party pinning Morgan to this place. Plus we have the the phone ping in that town. And Jen, do you know where Diamond and her boyfriend live now? Um, I believe Diamond is still in Georgia, but her boyfriend moved to a different state and they are no longer together. Okay. And have they been cleared as suspects? No, they have not. Definitely not. And were either of them involved in any uh, legal uh, altercations? Do any of them have prior records for violence or anything of the sort? Yes. I'm not sure about Diamond, but the boyfriend has a prior for, quote, assault with a screwdriver, Hmm. which seems terrifying. Um, And then there was another, like, really weird accusation from a woman who was seeing this man at a prior date and said he did vampire things to her but she didn't elaborate and she later dropped the charges vampire things to her and his his assault charge was for uh assault with a screwdriver good god what what situation what circumstance has to arise where you grab a screwdriver and that's that's your weapon of choice i think it points to somebody who's quick to anger and grabs whatever is available to do violence unto another. And what are vampire things? Was he biting her neck? I mean, I'm not joking. Yeah, I would have to imagine it's something like that, right? There's, there's got maybe some blood involved or some biting. Yeah, some heavy biting that might break skin. Yes, I would imagine that's what the person meant. And when the manager at main stage was interviewed, they said that Diamond's boyfriend was psychotic. And that's a direct quote too, huh? Yeah, it is. Um, I don't have any more of a quote other than that. Um, I guess this boyfriend had displayed some aggressive behavior toward Diamond. Maybe he was possessive, jealous, violent even. I can imagine you meet a lot of colorful characters in, a, in an environment like that. And to, um, to isolate somebody as psychotic, I think, speaks to his, uh, his description because you've been a part of this environment for a while. Even if you work at a regular bar, you see a ton of colorful individuals. I mean, would you ever say, like, that guy's psychotic if you didn't have reason to say that? Just my opinion. No. 
Yeah, no, I, uh, I'll back up your opinion there. Yeah, we both uh, bartended for years. I, w- I wouldn't have said that probably about any single customer I ever met, but that's a different environment. Yeah, the only customer I could ever, like I ever felt uh, I, I posed a danger, it was a drunk guy who had a knife and he was just kind of throwing it into the floor, right? So I'd call that never... suspicious or weird, yeah. <laughs> I would, but I would never say that guy's psychotic because I don't know. So to to go to that level feels pretty. Uh... Oh, you guys have a high bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> no, but you're right. I agree. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. And the next part here is kind of controversial, and so we even hesitate to bring it up, as it managed to derail Morgan's case and damage the search effort. However, uh, Morgan's story would be incomplete without mentioning this aspect. We love controversy. So what we're talking about here is when Morgan went missing, her sister was actively promoting Morgan's disappearance on social media. Okay, so that doesn't seem like it's too, uh, too suspicious. What makes that suspicious? And have you reached out to the sister? Uh, yeah, I did reach out to her on Facebook. Um, I think because of what we're about to talk about next, she was uh, probably hesitant to get involved with any kind of media about her sister's case. So she was like, as soon as Morgan went missing, she was pretty close to Morgan. Um, she was concerned, obviously, and was reaching out to her mother and to Morgan's best friend, Taryn. And she was posting frequently that her sister was missing. And then it all changed about a month after Morgan's disappearance. Okay. And this is where it becomes a little bit suspicious. Uh, this is in Reddit threads and on Facebook. She posts that her sister said she had been in contact with her by way of a pseudonym she used to dance under. So her sister was telling her that she was contacted by Morgan under a pseudonym Sasha Atkins or Aikens. So Morgan's sister is saying that Morgan contacted her under the name Sasha Aikens. A couple of things there. Uh, she could have been contacted by somebody with that name who knew that it was her pseudonym, knew that it was Morgan's pseudonym. It wasn't actually Morgan or it could have been Morgan or she was, uh, her sister was lying about the whole thing. So those are just the three uh, scenarios that, that it could have been. Doesn't sound likely her sister would lie about it, right? It she seems wasn't weird. In, yeah. in Georgia. I don't see why she'd lie about it. It right. seems, and you know, I, we, we do this kind of work, Lance, so I, I would say it's not unprecedented to get a message from someone claiming to be this missing person. So I think that is a possibility, um, and, and it wasn't Morgan at all. Um, but it could also very well have been Morgan. Is there any uh, evidence of this, this thread, these posts? Were they given to police? Um, I don't know, actually. I imagine that they were turned over to police, but I didn't find any evidence of them. I looked for the profile as well, and it has been deleted. Okay, and did uh, her mother, Sherry, have anything uh, to say about it? She did, yeah. So she was also contacted by this Facebook account under uh, Sasha Atkins. Um, This account also reached out to Morgan's sister and her best friend, Taryn. But Sherry, her mother, said that this Sasha couldn't answer any of the questions she asked her in order to, like, prove it was Morgan, you know? Okay. So we can imagine that this person reaches out and says, hey, it's me. The name on it is Sasha Aikens. And so in order to back that up, Sherry will ask personal questions that only Morgan would know. And this person either never responded or she responded incorrectly or said, I don't know. So, uh, so far what we have is somebody impersonating Morgan who obviously knows that she's disappeared. Right. And, uh, so the sister announced that Morgan was alive and well, and was willingly hiding from her quote, manipulative bipolar mother, unquote, Sherry, And not only that, but that Sherry was also unaware that Morgan was not missing and that she only kept publicizing her daughter's disappearance to collect donations via the GoFundMe account. Lance, what do you think of that? 
Uh, well, the first question I have is whether or not she was officially diagnosed as bipolar, because a lot of people can just say, you know, when they don't, uh, they're not like in a good relationship with their parents or whomever, and they're moody, they'll say like, you know, oh, they're just being bipolar. So I'm wondering if it was just uh, hyperbole there, or if she actually was bipolar. Uh, has anything been tracked down on the GoFundMe account? Because you can track those, you you know, there's that gets deposited into a bank account, and this is money that's donated publicly. So I'm wondering, and I think I know the answer. I'm wondering if law enforcement actually followed up on that to see where that money was deposited and where uh, it went from there from a bank account. Because you can't do a GoFundMe account without a bank account; it needs to go somewhere. Absolutely, and I, I mean, I think this GoFundMe was set up under Sherry's bank account, but she was the one doing the investigation. And I think this accusation by her daughter really hurt the investigation and maybe even caused law enforcement to take a backseat because they maybe don't think that Morgan is missing. I know it's still officially a missing person's case and it's still open, but. Well, here in, in, I mean, in fairness from everything I, I know about the case so far, the only thing that seems weird about either Morgan's sister or mother's behavior is Morgan's sister saying, yeah. Uh, all these things about Morgan's mother, like Morgan's mother happened to move to the place where Morgan disappeared from, um, to question people involved in her disappearance. That doesn't sound bipolar to me. No, it doesn't. And we have to like sort of take the sister's story with a grain of salt too, because I don't think that she and her mother had a very great relationship. Um, they were, I believe, estranged from each other and lived in separate states. Okay, so now we're we're getting to the root of the problem there. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm on Morgan's mom's side so far here, and it and it doesn't sound like it was actually Morgan who had contacted them. Yeah, um, I mean, I hesitate to pick sides here because I don't think that the sister thought she was doing a wrong thing. I think she really believed that her sister had contacted her, and maybe she didn't go through the necessary steps to validate this person's identity. And if she did experience some poor behavior from her mother in the past, I mean, you really can't blame her from for jumping to this conclusion. What she should have done, I think, is uh, is if she did know that this is not Morgan, she should have come out on social media and said, like, hey, no, my sister is still missing. Continue the search. Continue to donate money. Um, but she did not. She just ceased communication with everybody. Morgan's friend Taryn also claimed to have been contacted by this Sasha Akins, and Tara still believes Morgan is missing and possibly endangered. So apparently uh, Taryn does not believe this Sasha Akins is the actual Morgan. Correct. Yes, I believe Taryn is on Sherry's side in this case. And you have some points here about the problem with the claim that Morgan is willingly missing. Uh you you you, say, you cited here Morgan was an adult and she already left South Dakota in the first place and was not in contact with her mother even before their fight over the birth certificate and the Social Security card. And uh, Sherry was trying to gain control over any aspect of Morgan's life in Atlanta. So you you go on with some of these these uh, these points about why uh, she there's a problem with this uh, willingly missing claim. It's true. Morgan was already separated from her mother. They weren't living together. She was living in a completely different town and then a completely different state. I don't believe that they were in contact with each other even by a phone during this time. So I find it hard to believe that Morgan found it necessary to fake her disappearance in order to get away from her mother. She was already away from her mother. And she was also using so social media, like you said before. It wasn't like she was trying to hide her uh, whereabouts or her location from anybody. Yeah, exactly. Um, on the 26th, she ceased contact with everybody. I mean, here, up to this point, she had been in contact with her best friend, Taryn, back home. Um, and I think some other friends as well. Um, and then she stopped posting, stopped using Snapchat. I find it strange that a 19-year-old girl would give up her phone and her whole life to get away from her mother that she was yeah. already away from. And if if she really didn't trust her mother and she was uh, listening to what her sister was saying and she actually thought that her mother was using that GoFundMe to, to profit off of her disappearance, why wouldn't she come out and say she was alive? 
if she really didn't trust her mother. Right, because that would really stick it in her mom's face. Right? It It would make her mom look bad, and that would be what the intention of the sister would be. Yeah, no, exactly. You're exactly right, Lance. And then there was this photo. There was a photograph that was recovered from a site called Model Management under the profile Shelby Salters. And the woman featured on the profile is not Morgan. However, there are two photos taken of some girls posing provocatively against a car. And one of these young women is the spinning image of Morgan, uh, albeit uh, about 30 pounds heavier or so. And none of the tattoos are readily visible from the angle of her body, except for the blurry suggestion of the tattoo on her left wrist that reads, whatever you love can be taken away. So live like it's your dying day. Yeah, this was a really eerie photograph. Um, I matched uh, part of the background in this picture with uh, pictures of that club top of Gainesville. Um, It had a very distinctive window and shutter on this building. It was like uh, painted yellow with uh, pink palm trees on it. So, I mean, I imagine that there wouldn't be too many places uh, with that look. Um, So this must have been taken at top of Gainesville. And because Morgan looks so differently and seems to have gained some weight, I'm thinking that this maybe was taken after her disappearance. Yeah. When did this photo come up? I I looked at the metadata and didn't find a timestamp or anything. So it's anybody's guess. Okay. But I mean, just judging by what could be the the weight gain, it, it would probably be maybe a month or two after. Have these other two women been identified in the photo? that you know of? Maybe they have been, that's just not available? Yeah, I I don't know who the other women are. I tried to find uh, the woman, Shelby Salters, who is connected with this model management profile, but I only found her on another, like, acting website that I imagine, like, anybody could post their picture on it, like, looking for talent. Okay, so this Shelby Salters posted this picture, She's not in this picture, but this was on her profile on model management. She is in this picture. Oh, Shelby Salters is in this picture. Yeah, there's a there's a series of like four photographs on this profile. Okay. And there's like a headshot of her and then there's one of her on the dance floor. And then there's a picture of like a group photo of all these, I guess, dancers who work at the club posing against a car. And... Morgan is one of those girls, I think. So the person in this picture, sorry to be redundant, the person that looks like Morgan in this picture is posing against this car. One of those other women there is Shelby Salters. Correct. So she she definitely knew this person who looks like Morgan. I think so. I mean, Shelby Salters is probably not a real name. After all the controversy in the spring of 2016, law enforcement stepped back in a major way from the investigation of Morgan's disappearance. And Sherry, Morgan's mom, hired a private investigator, T.J. Ward, um, but uh, she claims he did little work on Morgan's case. And uh, Lance, T.J. Ward was actually the investigator in Oxygen's The Disappearance of Natalie Holloway. He oh, was, yeah. Uh, he came off great in that show. Oh. I wonder if his little work in this case was because he was working on uh, the, the Holloway case and it took away from his work on this case. But then Sherry called Internal Affairs with the Atlanta Police Department to complain about the lack of investigation. That seems like a pretty uh, significant move to and, and responsible move. Yeah, she's going above the head of the investigators that she had been working with, apparently. And she claimed that law enforcement never even spoke to Diamond's boyfriend, which, Jen, you you said uh, was the case as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, too, would go above their heads if they hadn't even spoken to this, like, very interesting person. Good for her for trying anything. But I think Internal Affairs will will deal, deal with uh, corruption inside the unit. I'm not sure that she's even claiming that. I'm j- uh, she's just claiming that they haven't been working on Morgan's disappearance. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if she thinks it uh, has to do with something larger then. Or uh, maybe she just thought that that was a place to start. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, something larger sounds right to me. Um, and uh, but but I can also imagine this being a really difficult investigation when you're dealing with Diamond and Diamond's boyfriend. Who a Diamond is not her real name. Diamond's boyfriend is what we're calling the other 
the guy who we don't even know his name. So yeah. there's a lot of aliases going on. So I can imagine that might make this tough. Yeah. And uh, didn't Sherry also claim that the uh, FBI and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation offered to help in Morgan's disappearance, but the Atlanta Police Department denied that help, uh, which now we get into that question that we hear a lot with missing persons is, you know, bring the FBI in and then we, you know, talk about the uh, the criteria that they need in order to assist and whether or not the local police department can accept that or turn them away. Apparently they turn them away according to the mom. And if there's a trafficking angle, I can yeah. imagine that the FBI and the, or the GBI could really uh, help the Atlanta PD in that case um, for sure. So maybe this is um, sort of evidence to point that the Atlanta PD do not believe this is a trafficking angle. Or there's something larger. And we only the only evidence we have that law enforcement denied uh, the FBI access is from Sherry herself. So I mean, we don't have a statement from the Atlanta PD. Good point. Okay, but I I, I want to think uh, kind of retrace uh, Sherry's steps there real quick um, because I didn't think about this until we started talking about it. She called the she called Internal Affairs, which is which is very specific, and the FBI and the GBI offered to help. And we know you know one of the criteria is that it crosses state lines, then they're then they're able to offer their help. Uh, and sex trafficking is crossing state lines. Yeah, anything kidnapping involves the FBI too. Exactly. So, what did Sherry and just again, big theory here? Did did Sherry uh, have information that this was sex trafficking, or she was kidnapped, and that's why? And and she had information that, for whatever reason, the Atlanta Police Department wasn't doing their job, or was maybe part of it, and that's why she went to Internal Affairs. Just just throwing that out there. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're right. Um, we do know that sometimes these sex trafficking rings involve high-level members of society. Um, Jeffrey Epstein, anybody? Right. Um, so maybe, you know, like for all we know, maybe, uh, absolutely, it's a possibility, I would say. But I, I would also say that let's start with Diamond and her boyfriend. Like, the, they seem really suspicious. Do we even have any evidence that they were involved with trafficking at all? Diamond's apparently still in the area. You know, I'd be more interested to hear more from them. What do you think, Jen? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think that this is the best angle we have on the whole situation. I, I think it's a common belief online as well among people who are looking into this case in a more amateurish way. So I did look into the trafficking angle pretty heavily. Uh, there's a lot of statistics that suggest that Morgan was a particularly vulnerable and likely target. So um, I don't know if you want to take us through these points, Tim. Sure. Adult trafficking victims are usually in the age range of 14 to 25 years old with the average age of 19. And Morgan was 19 years old when she went missing. Young women who are separated from family and friends are homeless, strapped for cash, and engaging with communities where sex work is more common or are at risk. And Morgan was far from home. She was homeless and had little money, was living in seedy motels, and was dancing at a strip club. And I, li I like this point here uh, that you had. There's a fine line between sex work and sex trafficking. Yeah, I think uh, often victims who freely enter into prostitution or sex work or even as exotic dancers uh, then realize after a time that they're not free at all. Yeah, because any money a victim makes is then turned over to a pimp, so they are financially reliant on that person. IDs, passports are confiscated and held by this pimp uh, to ensure that victims cannot travel or find gainful employment elsewhere. And these uh, people offer, offer the victims free drugs at first to get them hooked and thus have further means to control them via drug supply. I just want to add real quick that we also spoke with uh, the author of Lost Girls about the Long Island serial killer. And he went into, uh, Bob Colker, he went into uh, a lot of these young women's lives who were working on some level as a uh, sex worker or an escort. And they were... Um, 
they were targeted by someone placing ads in Craigslist and 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 uh, you know platforms of that sort. So uh, it's it really like all of this stuff right here is like you just see how they lose their they think they're independent but they're not so independent but you know the only independence that they have is that they're not from the the town that they grew up in they're they're very dependent on the people who are enabling them and controlling them exactly and i think people have this conception of like sex trafficking being like young girls in cages or being like manacled to the bed or something i mean that could definitely be the case but more often um it's it's these types of uh, psychological manipulation that keeps um, the girls attached to their pimp and not want to, to seek any kind of help from an organization or from law, law enforcement. All right, Jen. So let's take us to the hatch, your hatch. And uh, what's your personal theory on Morgan Bauer's disappearance? Yes. Welcome to the hatch. So it's my belief that Morgan was trafficked. Um, I think Diamond and her boyfriend are very suspect. Um, so Diamond lived in Portsdale, which was over an hour away from Gainesville, where they both danced at the club top of Gainesville. Why would Diamond travel so far to an unknown club to work, especially one that didn't require a permit to work at and thus probably attracted young women who are living on the edge and maybe paid less because they didn't require this documentation. Um, this indicates to me that possibly Diamond and her boyfriend were traffickers or worked for a trafficking organization. I think that Diamond was planted at the club to find a suitable victim and Morgan unfortunately was an all too easy target. Um, she was desperate and she was trusting and I think Morgan was lured by Diamond and her boyfriend back to Portsdale, where she was then taken elsewhere against her will. And remember the last ping on Morgan's cell phone? It was in Portsdale, and this couple were the last ones to see Morgan. And I don't know if there's any video or additional eyewitnesses that can place Morgan at the sit-go in Covington, which was, like I think, one of the stories that the couple told. Um, if it's only Diamond's word that we're going on, they probably didn't drop Morgan off there at all. And if there is proof that Di that Morgan was at the sit-go, then perhaps they set her up with another individual who then abducted her from that gas station. Yeah, I think that's a good point. This couple is definitely key, Jen. And um, but but why steal her phone if if they're? I mean, I, I we just kind of talked about how some of these um, trafficking victims are sort of uh, they get into it sort of uh, will willingly, and then it ends up they're kind of addicted and sort of trapped. This seems like a really uh, fast process. If this was a willing trafficking situation, and then she left her phone behind, I don't really understand that but also if she's murdered i don't see the motive there either it's not like she was carrying a bunch of cash on her or something like that i don't know if she was carrying cash on her i mean there could have been a situation that night with morgan and the boyfriend um violent situation she could have been killed but um it could have also been an unwilling trafficking situation maybe she had her possessions taken away, her documentation, her phone, anything that she needed to escape that sort of life. If you have any information on Morgan Bauer's disappearance or know of her whereabouts, please contact police at 404-546-4235 and reference case number 160721563. You may choose to remain anonymous. And you can also visit the family's Facebook page, which is Missing Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. 
Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization, Private Investigations for the Missing, because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter, Brianna, disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait.